Welcome back, everybody, to the Classic Rock Podcast, the first edition of the new year. And coming up in this month's programme, melodic rock. And lots of it as well, from the new to the established. Coming up, we have uh, an exclusive interview with uh, Tony Clarkin and Bob Catley from Magnum, who join me to talk about the brand new album. It is called The Monster Roars, and it is very good. Uh, we're going to be hearing tracks from that, and we will look back at some of the classic Magnum. They're 50 years old, believe it or not, this year. We begin, though, with uh, a bit of a sombre note to the proceedings because it was announced in the last few days that Burke Shelley, the legendary voice of the Welsh band Budgie, had passed away age 71. Budgie formed in Cardiff back in uh, 1967, albeit under a different name. Budgie came into being... About 12 months later, the first album came along in 1971. They released 11 albums in total from the debut in 71, right the way up until 2006. And they were a formidable live act, as many of you who saw them down the years will remember. I remember seeing them on a good few occasions, but it was in the 1980s, slightly different band there. Uh, they really were one of those bands, weren't they? When you go back and listen now to the catalogue, you wonder why it was they were never substantially bigger than they were. It's incredible, really, especially when you consider some that did make it at that time. Anyway, let us remind those of us who do remember and introduce those who never listened to them before just what a great band they were. This is from the 1973 album, Never Turn Your Back on a Friend, and uh, you don't really need me to introduce this, do you?
Just brilliant, wasn't it? Brett Van by Budgie. And if you're wondering just how influential they were, then take a look at some of the obituaries that appeared in the hours following uh, Berg's passing. Lars Ulrich of Metallica, Phil Campbell of Motorhead, the Manic Street Preachers, etc., etc. All very, very quick to pay their tributes. I was a bit too young to see them in the uh, 70s. I did, as we said, see them in the 80s at least a couple of times last time on the night flight tour. I've still got a single, uh, which is in brilliant orange vinyl of I Turned to Stone. I'll keep that for later on. Now, as we said earlier, we're going to be talking about melodic rock and uh, lots of it throughout the course of this show. And those of you that uh, long for those halcyon days of the 1980s, then uh, I think you're going to like this. It's a new release. In fact, as it says on the press release, it is a dream come true for everybody out there who is mourning the loss of quality melodic hard rock since, let's say, forever. Now, the band are called Out of This World. They're made up of key Marcello ex-Europe, of course. Tommy Hart of Fair Warning, Ken Sandin from Alien, Darby Todd from Devon Townsend, Gary Morey played with, and The Darkness. Also included on this album are contributions from Don Airy, of course, with Deep Purple. Uh, Ron Nevison as well, who was involved in the production process. Uh, he, remember, was involved with so many of the epic 1980s melodic rock albums from the likes of MSG, Survivor Heart, uh, Kiss the Damn Yankees as well. But is it any good, I hear you ask? Well, it's rare, isn't it, that you put on an album and just leave it there until the end. And that is pretty much what I did with this. It's great. I tell you, it makes great car music. Just get the volume up for uh, a true appreciation of this. And uh, you need that level right up, not to 11. But you need to crank this up to 12. Here, then, is a taste of Out of This World. Will the sound light up the sky In a million years from now On a pale blue dot called our home Will the moon look down and cry In a million years from now
told you it was good, wasn't it? Really, really great album. It's called uh, Out of This World. The band is Out of This World. And that was the track from it, which was called In a Million Years. And uh, a bit more good news, because in the next edition of the show, uh, we're going to be talking to Key Marcello about the band, the album, and uh, how it all came into being, and what their plans are in terms of uh, live performances and where you're likely to be able to see them this year. Uh, Tony Iommi has been back in the news a bit of late, hasn't he? Launching new fragrances, amongst other things. Yes, a fragrance. It was described as such. The aromatic reminiscence of rock in the 60s and 70s, festivals and gatherings, amber and patchouli. Who doesn't remember patchouli oil? Now, he's also been saying how much he misses being on stage. So do we, Tone. So do we. Now, if you want to put two and two together, how about this then? Tony Martin's got a new album out, the former Sabbath singer from the 1980s and 1990s. Uh, there is also just announced a new record deal. Yeah, this is to repackage and re-release the Tony Martin era catalogue. Beginning, of course, with uh, the mid-80s albums. It was The Eternal Idol, uh, Seventh Star was the first one, Tear, The Headless Cross, Cross Purposes. So obviously, they couldn't call it uh, Black Sabbath if they went out, but it certainly worked when they did Heaven and Hell, didn't it? So, what about Tony Martin and Tony Iommi? The Two Tones, perhaps they could call it the Two Tone Tour. <laughs> well... That era tends to be much maligned, doesn't it? Usually by people that didn't really listen to the music. I've been listening to the albums over the last couple of days and wondering what Dio would have been like on Headless Cross and Tears. Certainly the lyrics would have fitted for him. Devil a daughter, the Headless Cross. I saw a good few of those 80s shows, including the Sabbath that was fronted by Ray Gillen. Not sure many of you will remember that, maybe. He went on to... Uh, front bandlands who were very good indeed. He stepped in a very short notice. Plus, I did see Tony Martin a couple of times, including on the Headless Cross Tour. They were playing very small venues, but the sound was still immense. Copies, by the way, of those uh, Tony Martin era albums, especially Headless Cross and Tear, fetched very good money on eBay and the like. And if you've actually got a Headless Cross T-shirt... Well, look that up on eBay. I saw one going the other day for about £150, uh, albeit in very good condition. Anyway, what about a track then from those albums?
Well, that was Hard Life to Love from the Eternal Idol, Black Sabbath. And I do love the front cover of that album. There's a remastered edition of that, a deluxe edition, which is very good. It's, uh, it's been a good few years, but worth checking out. Anyway, time to move on to, as uh, Jimmy Lennon Jr. would say, the main event of the evening. Magnum. They're celebrating 50 years together this year, and over that time, they have and continue to produce melodic classic rock that is simply unequaled by anybody, really. Uh, they've now just released a new album. It is called The Monster Roars, and it is full to overflowing with classic magnum songs. And they're simply one of those bands. Uh, when you put on one of those albums, they just make your day instantly more bearable. It's sort of impossible to ever listen to them and be in a bad mood at the same time, really. Now, before we talk to uh, Tony Clarkin and Bob Catley, what about if we were introducing Magnum to a, a friend who'd never heard them before, heard the name, but never heard the band? What track would you use as a showcase for them? You've got three, four or five minutes, or maybe even ten if you're going to go to some of the longer tracks. And I was sitting there thinking about this the other day, and, and I was changing my mind up for every two or three minutes. But in the end, I thought I'd settle with this. So for those of you that have never heard Magnum before, and uh, that might be a few of you listening over in the in the States, I settled on this tune. And uh, for those of you that know the Magnum catalogue and know it well, how many of you would have picked this? It's called On a Storyteller's Night. And you swallow if you're able on a storyteller's night. From the poor house chimes indifferent. Seven towers, seven sisters. Every black heart walks the distance on a storyteller's night. Try to sleep on your pillow and dream sleep. Oh, God's children to keep Though we all lose track of time Disappears like faded lights Keep the nightlight burning Chill wind at your back door And the fire cracks on the damp floor You hear footsteps, but you're not sure On a storyteller's night See the night sky supernova Chase the cold moon passing over Start the dragons 
spider smolder on a storyteller's knife. Try to sleep on your pillow and dream. Sleep all God's children to keep. Don't lose track of time. Disappears like faded lines. Keep your nightlight burning. Comfy will the rain, yeah. Keep your nightlight burning. I'll be with you once again. Oh, keep your nightlight burning. I'll be with you in the rain, yeah. Keep your nightlight burning. So this then, your uh, seventh album in, in 10 years, it is about your most prolific time of your 50-year career. Uh, and each release appears now to be better than the last. So you must be deeply satisfied with what you've produced in uh, the new album, The Monster Roars. Yeah, yeah, I'm really pleased with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um we're just actually uh, putting a, a, a live show together at the moment. So we uh, and we're listening to uh, some of the the new tracks and things, you know. So yeah, we're really pleased with it. Um, I, I, I like the whole album. Seems like very whole to me. Um, it seems to work together. All the songs seem to work together well. I think so. Um, I think everything is there that we as fans have come to expect from from a magnum album. We have the grandiose, we have the epic, we have the uplifting, the anthemic. 
There's always one track buried in your albums, but once you hear it, is then ingrained in your psyche and you can't get rid of it. Um, on this album, it's no stepping stone. It's a great track. Uh, thanks. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I like that. Um, it's a bit different, I suppose, uh, to what we normally do because we've got brass on it and uh, uh, two guys we've used before. And uh, yeah, it worked uh, pretty good. Um, I, I, it was one of those, I, I think when I wrote it, it was, um, I was thinking, oh, this is good. And um, I was playing the actual riff on a guitar, and uh, but meaning that uh, I wanted to change it to brass when, when we actually recorded it. And um, I, th I think Rick was saying to me, now keep it as a guitar, keep it as a guitar. Yeah, that's uh, what we said. I, yeah. But I, I went, no, no, I really want to try brass. And uh, I think it worked great, so...
lot of the bands rate the quality of their their albums and the product by how much it translates into a live set. You've said you're working on it. Is it too early to pick tracks from this album that you uh, could play? I mean, you could, of course, go out and play the whole thing, you know, do a first half, 40 minutes, and then do the hits. Yeah, right, yeah. yeah follow them ideas. <laughs> We've done that before, actually. We've done the whole album and then come back and done part two of uh, the, the older stuff, you know, all the favourites. Uh, but uh, on this album, there's, there's, uh, there's a lot that we could be doing on stage. We're choosing the what we think are the best tracks for uh, for us to play live at the moment, and uh, we keep going like, oh, we'll do this one. Oh no, we'll do this one. Yeah. Like, oh no, we'll do that one. Yeah, it keeps changing. Yeah, yeah. so uh, <laughs> we're still undecided, but we're we're still working on the running order. So uh, uh, it all will be revealed <laughs> after the first show we do in March. It'll be straight up there on the internet. <laughs> this is what we played. Yeah. Well, these songs get as as is always the case. Really, lend perfectly to your singing style. But I mean, you've said in the past, I sing to people personally. I don't just sing. I try to involve everybody yeah. that I can make contact with. Oh yeah. I'm- Absolutely, yeah. I can't just sing staring up into the air. I try and make it as personal as I can. And there's a lot of eye contact going on uh, when we're on stage between me and the audience. And it's great. It really gets to me when you get that massive reaction at the end of the song and during it as well from, from the fans. And they all connect to what, what we're, we're singing and playing about. And um, and it really gets to you. It can get quite uh, emotional sometimes, especially on songs like Le Mord en Son or um, uh, Don't Wait the Lion or, or When the World Comes Down. I mean, really gets to me, it does. But we've got great fans out there and I hope they're all going to be coming to see us soon on tour. And I hope they all enjoy the new album, The Monster Rules, when, which comes out tomorrow. Tomorrow, Friday, isn't it? Friday the 14th, yeah. Yeah, yeah, tomorrow, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's only 50 years, 50 years you guys have been together. Back from those days down Broad Street of the <laughs> Rum Runner, yeah, yeah. Uh, Don Barrow's place, Don Barrow and his, and his brothers and Sabbath were in there. How did you get the gig as the house band? Uh, I joined that band originally when it was called Fred's Box. And I, joined, <laughs> I know what a great name. And I joined Fred's Books. Oh blimey! And uh, and Tony joined afterwards when we changed. The, then he left, and we had another uh, guitar player. Uh, and then we called ourselves Magnum. And then he left, and Tony joined Magnum at the Rum Run. And we we was one of the two resident bands, you know. Um, and uh, we actually. Did for three years, seventy-two. Yeah, four years we did there, uh, and then we moved on because we weren't required anymore by the management. We got the sack, really. That was the. <laughs> was that? I, I read somewhere that you got the boot because you started yeah. to get a bit adventurous, doing a yeah. bit of um, Steely Dan and Steve Miller. Yeah. Well, also like I'd said to the guys, "Oh, I'm 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 started to write some songs. Let's do some, you know." Uh, my songs, um, you know, just pop me now and then, and uh, not long after that, we got the sack. So I'm not quite, <laughs> I'm not sure how to read that. <laughs> Where did, when did you support Del Shannon? I, I came across afterwards? that bit of curio. Uh, that was that was when you were Magnum or before. 
No, we were Magnum. Um, yeah. And that was after we'd, we'd had the sack. Yeah. And I'm saying to the guys, don't worry, I can get us some work, and all that sort of yeah. rubbish. Yeah. Uh, got a, in contact with some agent guy, I can't really remember his name. And he's, he, I met him at Barbarella's, um, and he's going, oh, okay, um, Del Shannon needs a band. And I'm going, yeah, no problem. Well, I remember, obviously, uh, the... Um, you know, uh, Runaway, when it first came out, well, I was uh, like yeah. a little kid, I think. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I yeah it was, um, Del was a great singer. Um, yeah. And, like, we did a tour with him. I mean, <laughs> we were doing, like, two gigs a night and with no roadies and things like that, nowhere to sleep, sleeping on the floors of uh, people's houses yeah, and people things. put them up. Put us up, Melks. Yeah. You can lie there. Oh, thank yeah. you very much. But it was uh, <laughs> great. I mean, he, um, uh, it, it was like, uh, it was tough work, but it was great. Really great. Enjoyed. I mean, I can remember being in uh, Los Angeles many years later and, and then seeing um, Dell on the, on the TV. I was in a hotel and I said, wow, wow there's Dell. Look, um, oh. And like he killed himself, you know. It was like I couldn't believe it. it you uh, have come, you have yeah. come a long way since yeah. uh, sleeping on that yeah. cafe floor when you were recording that first album. You'd done "Sweets for My Sweet," which was, and then with a bit of "God Rest Ye Merry Gentlemen." Yeah. Then you're recording the album on the on you're sleeping on the floor, and then "Kingdom of uh, Madness" mm -hmm. turns out, and that's when the madness verse starts. Because you started, you, you got the recognition or, or began to get the seeds of recognition. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mean, it, it was at the time when punk was happening and we were making the most uh, opposite sort of music. Couldn't get more different, could you? <laughs> yeah, more different uh, than uh, Kingdom of Madness. And like, it was all punk stuff happening at the yeah. time. But he actually. Everyone was laughing at us, thinking, you know, what a, a pretentious album and all that, which it probably was. But um, it sort of made a bit of noise for us, and uh, I think it, it sort of snuck into the charts. Yeah, but... it went in the top 50, low down, yeah. but it was in there at least. Yeah. Uh, and it got remembered, and the next album did great as well following that one. And we'd never been fashionable, but uh, that's how we started to pick up our audience, uh, and by doing support tours with various bands. And you put yeah, because you did uh, you did you with the UFO, didn't you, in Germany, a first oh, tour yeah, over there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I went to Germany with UFO, uh, and we went all around the UK with um, Judas Priest and other bands, and, and Def Leppard in the eighties. Uh, and we, that's how we picked up our audience. And Chase uh, the Dragon. Yeah, you got you got Jeff Glicksman in as a as a producer, which yeah, it, it looks a bit of a of a coup because he'd had big success with Kansas with Left Overture yeah. and, and Point of No Return. Yeah. Uh, we was was that planned? Did you go looking for a big producer? No, um, what it was, David Arden came to me and, and said that uh, he said I've got this guy. Um, uh, who I want to get him to produce the album for you. I asked, I asked who he was, you know. I mean, Kansas were one of my favourite bands at the time. And uh, I thought, wow, fantastic. 
uh, and like we, he, uh, unfortunately, what happened was we recorded the album, and Jeff went back to America, and then I don't think he came out for two years. Like we were, Again. we were all, you know, twiddling our fingers waiting for it mm -hmm. to happen. And uh, I think Jet Records was having a sort of bit of a bad time at the uh, that that was happening when. Our album should have been coming out. So, but uh, it, I, I went over to America and uh, I finished off a, a guitar solo or something like that. And um, uh, Jeff mixed the the album and came back and uh, played it to David and the guys at the Jet Records, and they all loved it. So we were really pleased. Who was who mm. did we tour with? That called well, Crocus. Crocus. Yeah, that was it. Because your too. album went in higher in the charts yeah, that's than theirs yeah. did. Yeah, right. yeah. <laughs> Hilarious. It's great, man. Yeah. Great. Yeah. <laughs> well, that got you on the on the tour, that's didn't it? With with Ozzy in those. Yeah. yeah, difficult circumstances because it was the second part of the tour after Randy uh, after Randy Rosa passed. That's right. Um, yes, that's right. But w what was it like touring and uh, living? and partying with uh, Ozzy Osbourne in his peak years of debauchery. Well, um, <laughs> well um, we travelled separately. We didn't see much of him, really. Not really, no. It wasn't like we weren't all on, on the same buses and all that. It was all separate. Uh, and we had a, they gave us a, a really good crew to look after us and uh, set the equipment up and that. Uh, but oh, we yeah, did travel separately. But I mean, I think some of the band used to pop into us to see if we'd got any booze in the dressing yes. room because Ozzy had been banned from drinking. <laughs> that was it, yeah. That's it. That's, That's what it. I remember. Yeah, I do, yeah. yeah. You did Reading as well, didn't you? 1980. Does it, it almost brings a tear to the eye, doesn't it? Looking at the lineups back then, looking at them now, you think, oh my God, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? On that day that you were there, Whitesnake, Def Leppard, Gary Moore, Budgie, there's a bit of a story there, oh, of course, yeah, obviously, because yeah. Burke Shelley passed away, uh, literally, in the last 48 hours. Uh, um, oh, I forgot and, to tell you. Oh, yeah, oh my God. I forgot to tell you. I forget. Yeah, yeah Burke's gone, yeah. yeah so what, a, what do you remember of the uh, the Reading 1980 festival? Um, not a lot, really. Uh, <laughs> that's the first time we did it. I know that. Um yeah, 30,000 people. But it's a long time ago, you know. We did yeah, it three yeah. times, Reading Festival. Yeah. So uh, I get them mixed up. <laughs> yeah, mixed up, yeah. But uh, we'll, yeah, we did the we'll one with... Talk about them about Storytellers Night, because your fifth album is really when the the, uh, the life-changing events started to happen. You ended up with the uh, the big Polydor record deal. I saw a, a, a quote from you, Bob, yeah. Uh, a while back on one of these millions of interviews you've done. And you said, I don't really know why people love it so much. That sounds like yeah. something I'd say, not Bob. No, yeah. <laughs> I mean, people I talk to, they tell me that's their favourite album of, all, of everything we've done ever. No, no, that's what he's saying. So I, that's the impression I get. That's what, that's what he's saying. You know, it's like, bizarre yeah. because I was going to say, it was, it was just like the the album. I remember hearing that on the Friday Rock Show. And I remember it because I actually pulled over in the car and I was actually sat there, turned the engine off, and I didn't get out of the car until they finished playing all the songs that they played. It was that different. 
Well, I don't know, Robert. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. no, no, well, in 1985, you did yes. uh, you did Donington as well, didn't you? Because mm. uh, that was day. Well, it was a one day then, wasn't it? Yeah. And it was it was hot. The sun shone. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that day we we actually secured our um, our record deal with Polydor. Um. So. The, the 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 guy from Polydor Records was there, a guy called Michael Gola. Yeah. And we're playing, you know, we we were on stage and he was up behind us on stage and we're thinking, oh, <laughs> blimey, you know, I wonder what he's going to think. And uh, we we played and uh, he went up to our manager after and said, yes, I will give you a, a record deal. <laughs> so, uh, but in German, of course. Um and uh, it sort of really took off. It helped us crazily great. Um, it's it's it only soured after he'd left the record company. I think this this always happens that someone who works at the record company uh, who who signs you then leaves uh, the record company, and other people are going, "Who, who are these?" You know what I mean? Uh, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah. it's a bit crazy, yeah. really. Yeah, we lost. But we support. had some good years. Well, you we did vigilante really... with them, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, uh, we did. Yeah, yeah. That was with Michael, Michael Gola. Yeah. Um, Who suggested Roger Taylor, by the way, as the as the producer? What it was, um, I was in uh, Duran Duran's office they had in London, and uh, the two brothers. Um, who ran uh, Duran Duran were the sons of the the Barrows uh, uh, from the Rum Runner, uh, and I was in there. Um, Paul and Michael. Yeah, and uh, I was in their office, and that, I can't remember who organised this, but I had like about to see about seven or eight people who were producers, and probably about the sixth or seventh one. Suddenly Roger Taylor walks in and I went, I thought, oh, blimey, <laughs> you know. I mean, all the other guys I wasn't really sure about. and uh, But I, I, I pretty knew sort of obviously about Queen and Roger. And um, he impressed me anyway. And um, I, I just went, yeah, well, if you want to do it, it's great. You know, let, let's, let's do it. So um, we went to Queen's studio in uh, Switzerland. Yep. And uh, did it, did the album, and uh, Roger doing his bit, and uh, it was great. Some great tracks on that, by the way, aren't there? Still, the, 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 still a hugely popular When the World Comes Down one. Uh, Backstreet Kid, I was playing that again the, the other day, and that, that's a fantastic track which has travelled you know, the decades and still sounds as, as great today yeah, as like it that. did back then. Yeah, I like that track, I'm not going to say. He had eyes of the poor, wild and hungry, stood outside of the store, shine clumsy. Saw an electric guitar, he got hooked from the start. 
You went to the Queen after show parties, weren't you, on the Magic Tour? Did you get to meet Freddie? Uh, I didn't personally, no, but uh, uh, yeah, it was a great party. uh, (laughs) uh, You go out the door and you get given a bottle of champagne and a glass uh, and help yourself. And yeah, a lot of people were there and uh, it was like uh, an amazing night on the Kensington Roof Gardens. Uh, That was after we'd uh, been in the royal enclosure at the old Wembley Stadium to watch the uh, It's a Kind of Magic uh, last gig they did there. Uh, So yeah, that was an amazing time with Rog and uh, uh, he did us great. And uh, I wish I'd have met Freddie Mercury, that's my one regret, but never mind. Uh, I must have been talking to all the people, of course. But uh, Cliff Richard was there, (laughs) Uh, yeah. And, Little uh, Cliffy. <laughs> yeah, Cliff Richard was, yeah, he was all cordoned off. <laughs> and my wife at the time leapt over the, the cordon bo- uh, wire and uh, uh, gave him a, a big kiss. Uh, uh, she said, oh, I'm a fellow Christian as well. So they were getting on famously. And I sort of <laughs> left them to it. <laughs> Wings of Heaven, which was your, your biggest album, nearly didn't achieve what it went on to do, did it? Because the original which was produced in Holland, was it right that when you first heard it, the completed product, you just thought, no, we can't put that out. You had to remix the entire thing. Uh, Yeah, it was pretty much that that thing. I I think we were all, um, it was around Christmas time when we came back from Holland. Yeah. I mean, we were in a fantastic studio and there was no excuse um, about it sounding off. <laughs> but uh, I, I was really disappointed with it and um, it, it, none of it was mixed. Um, we'd, we'd just got rough mixes, but it was just sounding just hopeless to me. Um, and we then, we came back to England and we went into Psalm East, wasn't Psalm, it? Psalm West. Psalm West then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and we sort of finished it off there. But still, I have to say, um, it's not my favourite album. Purely from a, the sound of it, I, I don't know why it sounded Have so you ever good. thought of remixing it again? Yeah, I'd rather hang myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, 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 I'm one of those people that I want to go forward. I can't be... Can't be doing with all no, that. You, you can't know, be so. looking back over your shoulder. Yeah, I mean, what, what, what's what was what's done? What is done? You know. Yeah, yeah. So. Mm. I, I really, I, having said that, <laughs> we've just re-recorded Days of No Trust. No Trust, yeah. But how it should <laughs> be, I think. How it should have been, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but well, you uh, top five all over Europe. You were charting in countries you'd never done before, and of course, the big thing for you is uh, you play at the NEC, which is oh, yeah. like the, the homecoming, really. Yeah, it was, uh, it was good. Um, well, yeah, we were doing some big gigs, really big gigs. Yeah, um, we did, yeah. Yeah, Hammersmith Odeon and uh, Wembley Arena. Yeah. I mean, you know, which was pretty big at the time. Uh, so the album did great for us, really. Uh, it was number two in the UK charts. Um, and... Uh, what can I say? It, it, it sold really great, and Magnum fans love Wings of Heaven, especially Don't Wait the Lion and stuff like that, you know, and uh, Wild Swan, and uh, some, some real good songs on there. 
Just pity it didn't sound better, that's all. Never mind. The the last album of that decade, which was the one that was supposed to break you into into the US, the big the big market, the panacea for many people. Keith Olsen is a producer. I mean, he'd had some of the the biggest selling albums of the decade. Uh, White Snake's nineteen eighty seven. He'd done uh, Aussies, No Rest for the Wicked, amongst anything else. Were, were you excited? about going over there, experiencing something new, being like on the cusp of this big, big moment? Well, it was... Um, I, I'd heard um, an album by Rick Springfield. I thought it was really good. And um, we, that was me sort of trying to convince everybody that Keith would be the, the geezer to, uh, to, to uh, produce us. I wasn't really aware of. I know that uh, Keith had obviously had masses of success, but it, 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 it was purely on this Rick, Rick Springfield album. I, I don't know whether it was called The Rock or something. I, I can't even remember now. But um, um, so, like, it was nice going to America, and I'd already been there and, and written some songs with people, uh, a couple of people, uh, but um, I'd also written uh, a few songs with Rick's, um, Ross Ballard, Ross Ballard. Yeah. Um, and that was an enjoyable experience, uh, and um, I, I've always rated uh, Ross uh, highly, and uh, I think that worked good. Um, again, it was, uh, <laughs> we, we were treated as if um, we'd gone to America and left England forever. You know, people go, oh, that's it, you've gone to America, all this sort and of stuff. And you've sold out. <laughs> yeah, you've sold out and all that. Yeah. Um, but it didn't sound shot. like it when the album uh, came out. I mean, the, the, the tra- I mean, I've got the album, I'm looking at it at the moment. Um, Rock and Jam, uh, Matter of Survival, Heartbroken Bus. I mean, they were all classic uh, magnum songs that could have been on any of the other previous albums. Yeah, probably, yeah, I mean... Uh, it was, I don't know, people get some crazy ideas, really. Uh, you know, when you look, when you think about it, if you if you think of your style, how you write, how the songs come across, I mean, they were tailor-made for the for the US. If there was one band that you look back at as a journalist or a writer and you think, who's going to be, well, they're bound to do it. They're bound to do it. Just listen to it. E- everything about them, the anthem quality, the... Yeah, the fact that you can play it on FM radio, it suits the climate. I mean, it, it is one of life's imponderables how it, it never really happened because you're basically the English journey, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, we never really got a chance in America. I mean, it, that that album wasn't released in America. Yeah, it never came out. Like, can you believe that? Um, <laughs> what, what? Not in America. Incredible. Yeah. I know, after all that, you know. <laughs> I mean, we, and so, we didn't yeah, have the, the ambitions to to try and break America and all that sort of business. We were just there to make an album and purely because I, I'd been influenced by hearing uh, Rick Springfield's album, which was great, I thought. And, was that uh, success hasn't spoiled me yet? <laughs> that was the album. 
Was uh, it? Uh, Rick Smith. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Success Hasn't Spoiled Me Yet, or Working Class Dog was the other one that he did with um, Keith Olsen. Oh, okay. I can't remember which one it was, though. Um, or Rock of Life. That's it. Oh, that's, that's it. it. Yeah. I thought it was something The Rock. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it was that. It was a really tasty album, that was. We, we played with Rick. Um, on Bob and myself, we did we did a, a tour of Germany uh, with um, it's called Rock Meets Classic. Yeah, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago, playing with yeah, an orchestra. Yeah. yeah, with Uri Heap and uh, 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 Steve Lukather. Steve Lukather. Yeah, yeah, and. Uh, so and Rick Springfield. Rick Springfield, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was cool. It was like about a 52 piece orchestra. Yeah. And uh, uh, that that was yeah. uh, like Rick uh, was playing on that. Yeah, yeah, great. Cool. It was real good. Well, lastly, then, just coming back to today and the Monster Roars. Now, the, the, the album charts are out a, a little bit later on. Do you, do you still get a, a little buzz? When you click on there to see where you've charted, because it is going to go in the charts somewhere in the top thirty, uh, for sure. I mean, it's had so much publicity, and the, the you know the advanced tracks are, are, are great. D does it still give you a bit of a, a buzz? Yeah, it's, it's a when big we have buzz. an album out, yeah, brilliant. Yeah, it's a big buzz. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's what you've worked for for the last two years. Mm. It's great when it comes. It's, people can actually hear it. Yeah, because that's all you want to do. You want the audience to hear the album and and start going on tour you know that's yeah. what we normally do uh yeah it's a very exciting time for us and the band and it's you know it's what we're geared up to do <laughs> that's that's our life you know yeah and that's that's your blood you know when an album comes out so yeah because you you've said that you and tony have got a long way to go yet sure. uh, we've come a long way together we enjoy working together and we yeah. ain't finished yet no, you. That's right. You yeah. bet your life we ain't finished yet. <laughs> I wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't you sit down and you you enjoy watching your telly and having a drink at your daughter's pub. Oh, uh, yeah, she still got the yeah, pub. Yeah, I'm a bit of a telly addict. Yeah, and I do like a pint <laughs> and a half over my daughter's pub. Yeah, uh, yeah. But uh, I I need I need Tony and, and his songs to keep me alive and keep me going the rest of my life <laughs> oh by the way do you remember because i tell you where i saw you first the granary yeah bristol granary yeah yeah <laughs> yeah Crikey. if you go because the place is now you know like the rum runners cl closed down somebody yeah, turned yeah. that into a, a set of flats but there's a website uh the granary website if you go on it it's got old photographs and you'll see some old photographs of you <laughs> performing right. that okay <laughs> yeah yeah we used to enjoy that i mean the guy that ran that he was he was a do you remember the old guy yeah yeah he's a like, cool guy he was oh yeah we yeah, got yeah. he was a nice bloke he was he loved his bands and his music mm. his rock and roll yeah rodney matthews mm -hmm. would uh, meet us there because mm. rodney lived in bristol for us uh yeah well a long time long i suppose time. but uh he would uh, come down and bring he in fact he brought me the the artwork for on a storyteller's night to, to uh we i was sitting on the uh, the bus outside the gig mm -hmm. and rodney walked in and went oh there is your you know cover yeah he hadn't painted it yet but it was all a sketch and uh it, oh, it was like brilliant 
So, uh, and that's like one of the, uh, I think one of the covers that like people always uh, talk about, I think. Well, there we go. That was two of Rob Music's uh, most genuine characters. A couple of nice guys, Tony Clarkin and Bob Catley, talking about the new album, The Monster Roars, which is out now on all formats as well as all of the main streaming providers, and it delivers as ever on that age-old magnum promise. And so that is it for this edition of the show. Hope you've enjoyed it. And to send you on your way into the night or the start of the day, we'll sign off with another Magnum Classic. Until next time then, from me, Tim Cable, bye-bye for now. Because of heaven What a picture to fill